Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy. Today is a really special day for Ryan and I because February 10 is the anniversary of the day that we met. And so how appropriate for us to be talking today about love when today was the start of ours. So of course at the time we didn't know that we would end up married and with a child. But on a snowy day in Berrien Springs, Michigan, as I guess is probably rather fitting for a school principal and a doctoral student, uh, we were introduced on the third floor of the James White Library. And I was teaching undergrads at the university, Ryan was in his last semester um, in, a, in a master's program, and he was headed back to Canada in four months. And so. Over the course of those four months, we had to decide if this friendship and growing attraction uh, was worth investing in or if it was something we should give up on. And it's an investment that I have never regretted. And today we are talking about familial love and how our experience of marriage and parenthood has really revealed God's love to each of us. And if you're married or you don't have children, um, don't tune out just yet. Uh, So this familial love that we're talking about, um, uh, though using the context of marriage and the family, does not mean just that. Um, So the Greek word for familial love, storge, um, is not used all that often in the Bible, um, but it's foundational to the, the overarching narrative of Scripture. So in the Hellenistic world um, that Jesus and the disciples grew up in, story was understood to mean the love of affection between members of a family or group with close connections. These ties went beyond just family, though, and included geography or culture as well. A story described belonging to another person, family, or group, uh, and the affection between them. So the Bible is all about God showing us his familial love. He wants us to be a part of his family and creating the ultimate family. So we have God creating a family with Adam and Eve, and then the next big family that the Bible discusses is Abraham as the father of the family of Israel. And though Israel was named after Jacob, Abraham's grandson, um, then later we have Christ bring into the family those who are outside this Israelite family. And this is the family of spiritual Israel. And we are a part of that family. God wants us to join his family and considers anyone who believes in him to be a child of Abraham. The New Testament is full of passages referencing bringing people into this family. This familial love is not just for married people or families, but for anyone desiring to be a part of God's family. With all this in mind, Emma and I would like to share a few ways being married and having and starting a family has broadened our understanding of God and his love for us. So God has used the past six years of marriage to teach me a lot about his love and the way he works in the world. 
For instance, marriage sheds light on a lot of things in me. It shows a lot of good, but it also shows a lot of bad. As much as it is fun, <coughs> um, it's not fun to see the, the not-so-good things, I think this is a good thing. Um, our relationships, whether marriage, friendship, or in church community, act as a mirror to, thing, to see things in ourselves, both good and bad. When the person does this or that, we get frustrated or angry, or happy or sad, or selfish or selfless. We rub against people. When we're not in a relationship, it can be hard, harder to see these rough edges. There's friction in relationships. Friction can seem bad, but it actually can be a good thing. Friction can create heat to keep us warm, or energy to power things. The same is true in relationships. I think God designed relationships between people to have friction. Friction is a catalyst for growth and change. In thinking about this friction in relationships, my mind goes to Proverbs 27:17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As two people work together to make a life worth living, whether that is in a marriage, a friendship, or a church community, friction is created. When I was little, I remember watching my grandma lay sharp, rough rocks into the container of her rock polisher and let them tumble together to remove the hard edges. I was in awe of how smooth and beautiful the rocks became when the polisher was done. The container of relationships does the same for people. Like the rocks, we tumble around, knocking the sharp and rough edges off our natures and personalities. This friction is not always easy to take, and this is where love comes in. I love Emily, and so this love motivates me to work on those rough edges. It pushes me to lean into that friction, that sharpening, to chip away at those pointy bits. Relationships are rock polishers for people. As Emily and I go through life, we, along with the, with the polishing grit of life experience, tumble together to form smooth stones that can bless God's world. My relationship with God is a foundation to this process, and in a way is the ultimate rock polisher. The love that I have for Emily and the desire for reciprocal sharpening stems from the outpouring of God's love for me. God wants us to be more like him. Relationships, relational rock polishers, or rock tumblers, are the means that God uses to smooth out our hard edges. He uses our relationships to refine us. And as a result, we can be more effective in the, our love for each other, for our son, and for those around us. More than once, I found myself in some kind of workshop or conference, some group gathering with people that I don't really know. And uh, it seems like uh, the icebreaker of choice that is kind of forced upon us is uh, the game Two Truths and a Lie. Are you familiar with, th with that game? Um, spoiler alert, it, you play it exactly how it sounds. Uh, so each person says two things that are true about them and one thing that is a lie. And so hopefully this is not the planned icebreaker at our next AGM because I'm about to, to lose to you all by telling you uh, one of my truths, which is that I was not your typical university student. In university, I never pulled an all-nighter. Not, not one single time. I think the closest I got was maybe going to bed at like 2 a.m. and getting up at 5. 
uh, which was more of a nap than night's sleep. But I never purposely stayed up all night. Um, there was a trip one time to the UK for my sister's wedding where I think I was up for like 28 hours straight or something, you know, trying to beat the jet lag. But other than that, if, if there was a choice, this girl was going to sleep. Um, I would choose sleep over studying, sleep over riding carts through the Walmart parking lot, which was a thing that we did in college, um, sleep over curling my hair. Um, I just operated better if I could get at least a few hours of sleep. And then I had a baby. Uh, nothing prepares you, not even pregnancy insomnia, uh, for the sleeplessness that new parenthood brings. And I can see some parents in the audience with a little, a little smirk on their face. Um, my, my friends that had babies, they told me, but nothing could prepare me. I remember that first night uh, after being awake for well over 24 hours, like laboring through the previous night and uh, birthing an almost 10-pound baby that morning. Um, and I laid our precious son, Jack, into the bassinet next to our bed and proceeded to hear every sniff and gurgle and wiggle and, and, and movement and sigh. And anytime there wasn't one of those, those things, I, he I heard that too, um, for the entire night. I swear I didn't sleep the whole night. Um, motherhood has done a number on me in that regard. And the things that I'm able to do in a day, considering the amount of sleep that I had the night before, sometimes is truly miraculous. Um, I remember Ryan early on in, in Jack's life um, pondering aloud if there was some sort of hormone that only moms had that allowed us to, um, you know, stay awake or operate on less sleep uh, because I seemed to be able to, you know, cheerfully respond to Jack's needs no matter how little sleep I was getting. And I remember that my response to that theory was probably a little less cheerful than my response um, to Jack. But even when I'm absolutely exhausted, there does seem to be this well of energy um, that I can access. So I have just a little bit more patience or um, can stay up just a little bit longer just by simply looking into the face of our sweet little boy. And this storge love is natural in me. It's instinctual. Storge is the type of love that keeps us caring for one another. And we see this playing out in the story in 1 Kings 17. It's of Elijah um, coming across the widow of Zarephath in the middle of a drought. The whole land is in a drought. There's been no rain. And this woman is starving and thirsty and she's gathering sticks so that she could build a fire and make one last meal for her and her son. She's expending her last bit of physical energy to care for her child. And instead of throwing up her hands and waiting for the inevitable, she relies on that caring instinct to really dig deep and keep on caring. And then she even extends that caring to Elijah, even despite her lack. So in the face of scarcity, my mother's instinct to care for my child is the same. And I see God's posture towards his children in these demonstrations of storge love. It's his instinct to turn towards us, um, to meet his children's needs because he created us. He's linked to us. And just like my exhausted brain can sense Jack stirring and my body like instinctively reaches for him 
almost before my eyes even open. God is in tune with our needs, and he is near to us, and he is ready to hear our cries and provide comfort in our distress and satisfy our needs. Becoming a dad um, has given me a great, greater sense of this instinctual love that Emily mentioned and how God views me as a person and how much he loves me. I knew God loved me no matter what before becoming a dad. But when I had the experience of having another person to love and care for, it deepened my relationship with God. As I look at my son, I can picture how God looks at me. There's nothing my son can do that would keep me from loving him. He grew up and do something terrible. But though I might be sad or disappointed in his actions, I don't think that I would stop from loving him. I'm not perfect by any means. My love for my son is not perfect either. Um, but at a deeper level, I can understand what motivated God to do what he did in coming to save me. He did everything, and though I cannot love perfectly like God does, Having a son has made me understand God's love more and given me a greater desire to emulate that love to those around me. <clears throat> Over the last while, I have appreciated the hip-hop artist Connor Price. I'm not sure if any of you have heard of him. Um, if you haven't, you should look him up. Uh, one of my favorite songs of his is called Jude Song. It was written to his son. It sums up the way I feel toward my son, Jack, and the way that God feels toward me, towards me. I'm not going to rap it for you. I'm a terrible rapper. Um, but you should look up the song and listen to it. It, it, it is a good one. <clears throat> so the, the chorus goes, Call my name, I'll be there. Any night and any day. Take my hand, I got to you. That'll always stay the same. I can imagine God singing those lines to us. <clears throat> it has become somewhat of a cliche at this point, it seems. But I think, in some ways, John 3.16 also sums up the sentiment of this chorus. The text reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is amazing to me. And having kid has helped to drive this point home, that God's love for me pushed him to do whatever he could in order that I could be with him. He looks at me, at each of you, and all he sees is someone that he wants to spend eternity with. The good or bad that we do does not change his desire. This is amazing to me, and having a kid has given me a, a glimpse into how God feels towards me in this regard. When I look at Jack, sometimes I can't believe that he's ours. I mean, look at this kid. <laughs> he is just this infectious ball of joy. Uh, we love being with him, and honestly, I think that he knows that. In my work as a teacher and a principal, a philosophy that's really informed my practice, and, and now that I'm a parent too, um, comes from a, name, a man named Dr. Jim Fay. He's the author of the book Love and Logic. And he says, children are far more likely to develop good character and responsibility when they know that we adore them beyond words. Children become the best of themselves when they understand how much we adore them. So then, doesn't it make sense that we become the best of ourselves when we understand, I mean, as much as our human minds can, how much God adores us? 
This is straight out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. We become our fullest and best selves, healthy trees that bear good fruit when we allow that understanding to take root in our hearts. I look at Jack and the way that he lives in confidence, knowing that he is loved. And if that isn't a lesson for my own life, he loves hugs and snuggles and he isn't afraid to to ask for more. Um, When I walk into the room or when I go to leave for work, he will tilt his little face up for a kiss and sometimes a second or a third for good measure. And he bravely runs and climbs and jumps knowing that I'm in reach and trusting that I'm going to catch him. He goes about his days certain about his parents' love and adoration. And I think you can see it in him. It makes me ask myself if I'm living the same way with the confidence of a child that is adored by her father, whose love is the strong base that makes me brave. We're only six years uh, into our our marriage and a year and a half into parenting, but there's been so much to learn about ourselves, each other, and especially about God's love for us. This love is a relational rock polisher that smooths out all the rough edges of our natures and personalities. It's a love that has an unambiguously deep well of energy to draw from. God's love is sacrificial and has no end. And finally, it is a love that gives us the confidence to be the best versions of ourselves. Our hope for you today is that you experience the fullness of life that comes from knowing this love and being changed by it. Thank you for listening to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Learn more at oacvancouver.ca. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.